And amen. I, uh, not this Sunday, but last Sunday, I'm traveling to church on a Sunday morning. Early, I mean early, I don't know what early is for you, 6.15 in the morning, very early for me, very early, but I do it every Sunday. We meet a team here at 6.30, so we can set up, get the environment ready, do all this, so God can do what only God can do. And I always tell the leaders and tell the team, it's important that we're on time, right? I mean, how many of you, you know somebody, they're always late? Come on, how many of you are sitting by somebody, they're always late? Okay, I, yeah, you know who you are. Um, I always tell them we should be early. I mean, leaders are early. So me, I want to lead by example. So when I leave my house at like 610, I set a buffer in there in case something goes on. I still can make it here on time to lead by example. And last Sunday, I'm traveling, and I, I stop by to get a coffee every Sunday because Jesus wants me to have that coffee. So I'm like, okay, I need, I'll do that. So I stop, and it's, it's normal. The first window, I pay, and the second window, you know, you get your coffee. Well, I pay. I go to the second window, but there's a car in front of me. They're waiting for their food, and we're waiting. And we're waiting. And we're waiting. Now, it's been five minutes. It's 6.15 in the morning. I don't see any other cars anywhere, but I don't know if anybody is alive inside this building. I'm like, who, is, do you need me to brew it? I'll go in there and brew it. I don't care. I just need the coffee. Okay, I gotta go. So I'm not kidding you. Seven minutes have passed. And I'm like, okay, now I'm going to be late. And that's not leading by example. So I'm getting all tense and I'm getting all frustrated. And I'm like, okay, I either have to, just, just, you know what, say I'm going to wait here and just wait it out and I'll be late, but I'll have my coffee, or I'll just cut bait, leave right now, maybe make it on time. I cut bait. I leave. So yeah, I paid for my coffee, you're welcome, and now I've left without my coffee, so I have less money, no coffee, and I'm mad at God right now. So I, I'm like, Jesus, are you even real right now? So I'm, I'm driving down um, the highway to get, because I, I, I'm like, I don't have my coffee. I'm not going to be late, okay? I'm going to make it on time. So I'm driving, and uh, I get behind a car that's driving the speed limit. I don't understand why. They are. So I don't get it. You can go a few minutes, you can go a few miles per hour over, but they're not doing it. So I'm driving, and I'm thinking to myself, maybe what you're thinking, well, you just pass them, right? There's a passing lane. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But the problem is, there's some knob who's in the passing lane, and he's driving at the same speed as the other car because they're in cahoots with the devil, I'm pretty sure. So I'm like, what are you doing? Just move, slow down, speed up. I don't care. I just need to get around you. So I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. And by the way, it's called the passing lane for a reason, right? It's not called the, I'm going to drive the same speed you're driving. It's not called that. And I found something in my Bible. It may not be in your Bible, but my Bible has illustrations. And uh, uh, there's maps and things that show you what God wants for your life. And there was an illustration about people that drive slow in the, in the fast lane, in the passing lane. Is, do we have it? Yeah. See, people who drive slow in the fast lane, that's where you end up, okay? I'm just, that is the MLT translation, the Monty Living Translation. That is in my Bible. I don't care if it's not in yours. So, I'm driving, and there's, it's so slow. I can't even, I'm like, and you know how when you're in a hurry, it's that much slower? And I'm like, come on. I'm like, I don't know who's driving that car. It's like a snail and a sloth had a kid, and he's driving that car. Go! So I'm ready to take the ditch, but I don't do that because I kind of love Jesus right now. But I'm just like, God, I'm, I'm going to be late. I don't have a coffee. I don't have nothing. So I show up finally to the church. I don't take the ditch. I get here, less money, no coffee, and I'm late. And I need the Lord that day more than you need the Lord that day. And I'm thinking to myself, I hurry up, I hurry up, and I wait, and I wait, and I wait. I, I, uh, you know what it reminded me of? I love my daughter Ava, 14 years old, middle schooler, eighth grade. She makes me hurry up and then wait. Like, like I live, the, the middle school, I could throw a rock and hit it from my house. That's how close we are. But she likes when I give her a ride to school. I'm like, what are you, what, come on! You know how we did it, you know, up the hill both ways in the snow. We, that's how we did it, barefoot. I'm like, Ava, go, you can walk to school. But she wants me to give her a ride, but this is what it looks like. She'll, I don't know what she's doing upstairs in the bathroom forever. I'm like, Ava, if you want me to give you a ride, I gotta go now, okay? You're going to be late for school, okay? She's like, Dad, don't rush me, don't rush me. I'm like, okay, fine. So I sit on the couch with Rudy, our dog, and I'm like, Rudy, who cares? I mean, we're not gonna be tardy. She's gonna be tardy, so I just can't, I just wait. And seven minutes later, when she's ready to come down, she comes down and sees me relaxing. She's like, Dad, hurry up. Get my backpack. Get my water bottle. Come on, what are you doing? Get the car. I'm like, oh, now we're in a hurry. I don't get, what is the deal? So the four-letter word we're looking at, if you haven't already caught it, because we're in a series called Four-Letter Words, say four. 
four-letter words. And the four-letter word that probably maybe impacts your pastor more than any other word, wait. This, this season of waiting, this season of God, are you even with me in this? See, a lot of you, you're in a waiting season. And if you're not in one, you will be because it's part of life. The question is, what are we going to do in the waiting season? As you're waiting in a relationship that doesn't seem to be getting better. As you're waiting in a marriage that actually isn't going frontward, but it's going backward. Waiting for the promotion at work. Waiting for a friendship to mend. Waiting for whatever. Waiting for your kids to finally put the dishes in the dishwasher. God, is it ever going to happen? We don't know. So, but you're waiting. See, this waiting season that you're in, this is what God brought you here today. Um, there's a key that you can do in the waiting season. And we're going to look at what God did, what God told his people to do. And we're going to learn from it. The word of God is so powerful. I can't wait to preach this because I'm so excited. If you brought a Bible or you have the mobile app with the Bible app in it, go to the sixth book of the Bible. It's a, it's a, a book called Joshua. And Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Now, if you don't have any of that stuff, it's cool. We're going to actually put it up on the screen too. But I want to set it up for you because if there's any tribe, any nation, any group of people that ever had to wait, it was the Israelites. God's chosen people in the Old Testament. See, the promise to God to them was, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a new beginning. I'm going to give you this amazing area, this amazing destiny, and it's going to be awesome. And they've they've been given this promise hundreds of years ago, but they've gone through 400 years of slavery, still no promised land. They've gone through 40 years of wandering in the desert, Still no promised land. And now they're at the cusp of the promised land. They're right there. The waiting is almost over. And this is where we pick it up. If there's ever a group of people that had to wait, it was the Israelites. So they know what it's like. And they're right there. See, some of you today, you know where you're at? You're right there. Like you're right there. You've waited so long. You're wondering, is it going to happen? Let's watch what they do. Because this is what God wants you and I to do. Verse 1 in chapter 6. Now the gates of Jericho. Jericho is the city in the promised land. The first city that they would need to take. That they would need to conquer in order to have the promised land. That's why you hear the word Jericho, the city. The gates of Jericho were tightly shut. Because the people were freaked out. Because the Israelites were gathering. No one was allowed to go in or out. But the Lord said to Joshua. Listen to this. The Lord said to Joshua. I have given you Jericho. Say given. Mm, That word's bigger than you might know. I'll come back to it. I have given you Jericho, its king, and all the warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the city. Joshua, you listening? It's God talking. You and your guys, you're going to march around the city. Okay? Once a day for six days. And Joshua's like, okay, that's kind of weird. But okay, God, keep going. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark. Wait, God, the ark? We're going we're to carry a boat around the... No, 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 not a boat. This isn't Noah's ark. That was many years earlier. The ark that we're referring to here, that they're talking about, that they would carry, it's called the ark of the covenant. This would be like the raiders of the lost ark, that ark. The ark that the Israelites would take with them, it's like a chest. It's like this big box. And it had like a cherubim or an angel on each end. And, it, and, and this box would house the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Remember Moses? He's de- Moses is dead now. That's why Joshua's taking the helm and he's leading the Israelites. So, so Moses got those Ten Commandments and they store them in this box and they carry it. Now, the Lord's presence in the Old Testament would hover on this Ark of the Covenant. It was a big deal. So like a pillar of a cloud that would lead them in the day and a pillar of fire would be right there and it would lead them at night in the, in the, in the wilderness. So that's what this Ark is. It's the Ark of the Covenant, this, this container holding the, the uh, Ten Commandments. So they're walking around that and they're also blowing or carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, he said, so you walk around once for six days. Yeah, got it. On the seventh day, you're going to march around seven times on the seventh day. Not just once, but seven, a little different. Okay? And, and you're going to be blowing the ram's horn. And at one long blast of the ram's horn on the seventh day, all the people, Joshua, have them shout. And after they shout, the walls are going to crumble down. And you are going to take the city. And you go straight in. Mm, sounds good. So Joshua, in verse 6, called together the priests. He told them, guys, take the Ark of the Covenant, the container with the Ten Commandments and all that. Take that, assign seven priests to walk in front of it, okay, each carrying a ram's horn. Got it. Then he gave the orders to the people. March around the city, guys. 
It's day one. We're marching around the city. The armed men are going to lead the way in front of the Ark of the Covenant, or the Ark of the Lord, it's also called. And in verse 8, Joshua spoke to the people and the seven priests with the ram's horn. And they started marching and blowing the horns, and they're walking around the city of Jericho. And the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed behind them. Some men were in front, some men were behind. They had it surrounded, is what they're saying. And the priests continually blowed the horn. And then Joshua, it's kind of funny, in verse 10, Joshua's like, don't shout! Don't even talk! Not a single word! It's like he's talking to his kids. They're like, I'm talking to my kids. Don't you, don't you shout at me. Don't you talk, don't you even open your mouth. So Joshua's probably a good dad I'm seeing here. So Joshua's telling him, be quiet. Don't you say a word. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the city once a day, that first day. And then after, the, after they went around that one day, Joshua was like, all right, guys, go home, go back to camp. <laughs> and I think about Jim. Jim, let's just call Jim uh, one of the Israelites, one of the army guys in the, in the Israelite army. And Jim gets home, and his wife greets him at the door. Honey, oh my gosh, I heard that God has given us Jericho. I heard that we're taking the city. How did it go? Tell me about it. Well, it was, it was okay. Okay. Did you guys plunder it? Did you, take, did you get the money? Well, well no, it's yeah, it was more of a prep day. We prepared. You prepared. What would you do? Well, kind of, we, we, what, you went in there and checked it out and then ran back out? No, we didn't actually go in. We, we kind of marched around. What do you mean you marched around? We, we marched around the city gate, and then the priests were blowing these horns and stuff. What are you talking about? You marched around. How's that doing anything? Honey, I don't know, okay? You asked me how my day was. I'm just telling you, we marched around the city, and now I'm here. What's for supper? Okay, now, jeez, day two, day two, say two. Here we are, day number two. <laughs> this is verse 12. Joshua got up early the next morning. Here we go again. The priests got the Ark of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant, that box that they're carrying. The seven priests, they got their ram's horns. You get it. They're in, some are in front, some are behind. There's armed guys walking around. They're walking around. And all this time, the priests blew their horns again. Verse 14. On the second day, they walked around the city again once, and then they returned to camp. Ah, Jim. Hey, honey, I'm home. Sweetie, come here, hurry up. I want to hear all about it. Tell me all the details. Don't leave anything out. Okay, well, no, no there's no well. Did you take down the king? I bet you killed him. You're such a big, strong guy. Did you kill the king? Well, I didn't. We didn't actually, we didn't, I didn't kill a king. I, we, didn't, we didn't really see any people from Jericho. What do you mean you didn't see any people? I mean, you took the city. Well, we didn't actually, it was actually kind of another prep day, whatever. We'd see all his kind of. Okay, okay, well, what did you do? What, be specific, what did you do? I mean, talk to me. Okay, well, we, we marched around the city, marched around it, blew, blew the horns, and uh, you're, you marched around the city again. You marched around the city, you did the same thing? Okay, I, I'm calling Joshua. I'm calling Joshua. What kind of a leader has you marched around the city? I'm do not, come, don't call Joshua, okay? I'm just telling you, this is what he told us to do. You know what? He, they, they cut our benefits anyway. I'm calling Joshua. This is ridiculous. If I led the charge, it would be so much different than this. Yeah, I know, honey, it would be much better. It'd be great, whatever. But this is, I'm just telling you, this is what we do. So this happens for six days. Can you imagine the sixth day when Jim gets home? I bet he's like, God, I can pray you don't hear me. Oh, honey, you're home. Let me guess. You marched around the freaking city again, didn't you? Oh, la-dee-da-dee-da. How good for you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I bet you don't even have a job. I bet you and your buddies are just going to the bar, aren't you? He's like, I wish we were going to the bar. What'd you say? Nothing, sweetie. Okay. <laughs> it isn't easy. The seventh day. Oh, Jim, thank God for the seventh day. The seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn. They marched around the city, but this time it was different. Say different. This time, like God told them, they marched around not once, but seven times on the seventh day. And the seventh time around, the priests, they blew one long blast of their horns. And Joshua commanded the people, shout. For the Lord has given you the city. And if you keep reading the scripture, you will see that just as God promised, the walls would crumble down and they would take the city. But I'm wondering, I'm, I'm thinking of that waiting period. I'm thinking of that seven days. And it made me think of statements that sometimes we as Christians will say that really aren't true. Like in our waiting season. Like, we will say things that might look good on your Instagram post, and it might get a lot of likes from your buddies, but, you know, it looks good on a T-shirt or the coffee cup. It just isn't all that biblical. Can I give you an example? Uh, an example is, if it's, not, if it's not God's timing, you can't force it. 
And if it is God's timing, you can't stop it. Boom. Okay. You know what my translation, my says in the MLT translation? Bull crap. Okay? And the reason I say that's bull crap is because you can force God's timing. You could. What was God's timing in the message, in the, in the story? It's seven days. God said in seven days, you're going to take Jericho. His timing is seven days. Could they force that? Definitely. Jim, after talking to his wife after that first day, he could have gathered some guys and said, you know what? We, I ain't waiting. My wife has told me that we just need to get in there and we're going to take the city and we're going to do it. Now, I'm not saying forcing God's timing is going to go well. In fact, it could be quite painful. But you can force God's timing. And, and, and the, the, to say that you can't stop God's timing, sure you can. You can absolutely stop God's timing. You're telling, you're telling me that if the Israelites, well, God's timing is a week. He said in seven days, he said on the seventh day, you will take the city. Oh, gosh, well, there's nothing that we can do to stop God's timing. You're telling me if the Israelites don't march around the city, that that's going to happen? No, it's not. If the Israelites don't do what God's calling them to do, they're not taking that city on the seventh day. Okay? God's timing, there's no doubt the word says seven days. Are they taking it on the seventh day? Not if they don't do what God's calling them to do. Are you getting the key? See, here, so here's another one. Since I'm on this tangent, let me just keep going. It's fun. So a waiting season, say wait, because we're talking about wait. A waiting season is never a wasted season. Oh, that makes me feel so warm and cuddly. I mean, wait, okay, whatever. See, and here's the sad thing. I've said that before, and I need to repent because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish that statement for you today and show you how we can make it true. Because in that alone, it's not true. There's a lot of people who are in a waiting season and they're wasting their life. Okay, I'm not afraid to say it. I've been there. You can be in a waiting season and be totally just blow, wasting it. It depends what you're doing in the waiting season. Okay, well, I'm just waiting for my dream job. Dad, I'm waiting for my dream job, Dad. Well, son, you haven't filled out an application to anybody. I know, but I'm just waiting. The church told me a uh, waiting season is never a wasted season. So I'm just going to, I'm going to, just going to wait. I'm going to wait. And uh, in the meantime, dad, you want to play Fortnite? Yeah, I'm just hanging out. So, uh, you know, I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait for my ship to come in. I'm just going to sit here and wait for my ship to come in. But you're waiting at the airport. I know I'm waiting at the airport, but I don't wait for my ship to come in. But you're not in the right area. See, it makes a difference how you wait, where you wait, what you do. Oh boy, one of my favorites, and I've said this one before, but i got to say it again. If God wants me to have a, a, a husband or a wife, if God wants a man in my life, he's going to bring him to me. I don't need no Tinder, Hinge, Farmers, whatever that's called. I don't need any of that. I, if the Lord wants me to have a man, I'm just going to wait on the Lord. I'm just going to see it. I'm going to wait on the Lord. Mm. A little extreme there. I'm sorry. Coffee. Wait on the Lord. Honey, if your plan is just to sit on the couch and wait for God to bring you a man to your front door, I'll say what I've always said. You're either going to marry the UPS man or a Jehovah's Witness, okay? I'm just telling you, that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. I hope, maybe, I'm not saying they're bad people, but, you know, whatever. So, I just, have you, oh, waiting season's never a wait. Have you ever been, who's ever been to Disneyland or Disney World? Yeah, I have twice. I have nothing again. I'm not saying anything bad about it. I'm just saying there's a lot of waiting, wasted, wait. I mean, are you kidding me? W waiting time, 135 minutes? Are you, I mean, Disney, 20% of it's probably fun, okay? 30% is like just keeping your family with you, trying not to lose anybody. Or if the day's not going well, maybe you're trying to lose people. I don't know. It depends on, <laughs> depends on your family. 50% waiting. Waiting. Well, you should have got the fast pass. You know what? I've done the fast pass. It's like the fast lane. There's still people in my way. That's what I'm saying. Fast pass. Gosh. Disney. Okay. I'm going to give you three. Say three. I'm going to give you three things that I believe you can do. Three options you have in a waiting season. This is it. These are your three options. So some of you, you're in one of these, you're in one of these arenas, one of these three arenas right now. Option one. Make your plan, make your plan and hope it succeeds, okay? You can do that. The Israelites could have done that. Joshua could have said, you know what, God, I know you're telling us to keep doing this and keep blowing the horns, and, but you know what? I, 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 we've gotten this far, God. I can see Jericho. I heard your promise. We're going in, okay? That's making your plan. See, when you make your plan and God's not in it, 
it, it, it won't succeed. Not God's way, I promise you. It never will. And this, by, by the way, door number one is the door that most people go through. I'm so grateful for you. I mean, you lose an hour of sleep and you're still in church. You're still worshiping Jesus. So I know that that tells me something. You want to hear a word from God. You want God to do something in your life. You don't want to do it on your own. You know that you've tried it on your own before and you haven't gotten good results. So, so but the first option, make your plan, just hope. Just hope. I don't want to do that. I've done that in my life way too much. It is painful. It is hard. It doesn't have to be that way. So door number two is a step in the right direction. It's a step that makes me feel a little bit more godly about myself. It isn't quite right, but let me tell you what it is. You invite God into your plan, and you ask him to bless it, okay? God, I, you know, I, I, I'm going to church, I'm hearing a word, I, I get in the word once in a while, and I'm hanging around some people that love you, and they're telling me some things, and it's good, but there's also some things I don't get. So you know what, I'm gonna, I'll take some of that, but I'll take some of this that, that I believe is going to be better, and I'm just going to put it together, and then you, God, I want you to bless it, though. Please bless that, anoint that, do whatever you need to do with that, because we're going that way. Because I don't get the whole plan. Like, in my friends that love God, they don't get it either, telling me, to, telling me to hang out with that, or telling me to wait with that person, or keep loving that person when that person's hurt me. That don't make no sense to me, God. They don't know what that person has done to me. They don't know, forgive that person? They're telling me to forgive that person. Do they know what I went through with that person? And they want me to forgive them, God? They don't know. They don't understand. I, they don't have all the facts or the details. Listen to me. God is way more interested in our full obedience than he is our full understanding. Okay? He's way more interested in your obedience than your understanding. Why well, don't understand? You won't understand it. If you understand it all, God's probably not in it. Okay? But I need more details. I don't understand, God. Once around and then seven times around, I don't get it. That doesn't make sense. You don't need more details. You need faith to step into the plan that God has put before you. He's in it. He loves you. His plans for you are good. That's what he says. You got to trust him. You got to trust him. So door number three is the door that I want us to all drive towards today. We listen to God. Trust his plan and do what he says. It's the hardest door you'll ever walk through. It's the hardest door you'll ever wait through. It's the door that's the most worth it. In fact, this door allows me to finish the statement earlier that I said was false because we can make that false statement true. And it's your main message or main point for today. A waiting season is never a wasted season if, say if, if, you listen to God and you do what he says. If you listen to God and you do what he says, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I promise you, you eventually, sometime, someday, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not the next day, but you will like the results. I promise you. Waiting on God. See, most people will think waiting is actually waiting. It's actually sitting. It's actually being stagnant. It's not. Waiting is going. Waiting is a verb. Waiting is, is, it's an active pursuit. It's not a passive attitude. Waiting is action when you wait God's way. When you wait God's way, it's an active pursuit. And know, know this, when you're waiting and trusting that way, it won't make sense and it won't be easy. It won't make sense and it won't be easy. What the Israelites did that day in Jericho and around Jericho and around Jericho and around Jericho, that made no sense. This makes zero sense, God. I don't get it. I know you don't. You don't need to get it. Trust me. And that's what he does. And that's what he does. And I think, about how, how the, I think about how the Israelites looked to the people in Jericho. Think of the people in Jericho. Bob and his buddies in Jericho. Hey, guys, come here. Jim and those guys are walking around again, third day in a row, blowing the horns. They look like morons. But listen to me. Faith is the willingness to look foolish. Faith is the willingness to look foolish. When God, when I, when I was going to meet Mike Smith, Mike was involved in like our trailer. Our trailer got stolen, burnt up. Many of you know the story, but if you're new, you don't. In September, our church trailer that stores all this stuff in it was stolen and burned to the ground. And we prayed for the people that did it, and we really meant it. And all of a sudden, Mike gets busted with our stuff, a lot of it. And as soon as he gets busted, I'm, you know what I thought? Oh, no. Because we've been praying for this, and I knew, I knew what God was telling me to do. I knew it deep in my heart. But here's what I thought, because God was saying, you need to go, you need to go meet him. You need to go visit him in jail. 
And I'm thinking, that's the dumbest thing I could do. I will, I will look like a moron. I mean, I'm not going. He don't want to talk to me. Oh, I'm going to go preach Jesus to this guy. He don't. He, he took our stuff. He burnt our. And I had myself talking to something. I mean, are you talking yourself into an outcome that God has nothing to do with? I mean, you know what God basically said? Monty, your job is obedience, okay? You do what I'm telling you to do. My job is the outcome. And how many times do we orchestrate five million outcomes in our brain about how this isn't going to work? I can't invite them to church. I know that they're not going to want to go. I'm not going to invite them to some event on March 12th. They don't want to go. I'm not going to do this or that because I've already got all the answers in my head. Really? Really? And I remember telling God, God, he's in jail. Go reach him. And God's looking at me saying, I'm trying Go, I'd like to do that. So, faith is the willingness to look foolish. So I set up this visitation. My outcomes, it, it looked nothing like my outcomes. Go figure. I just did what God told me to do. Uh, begrudgingly, trust me. I'd love to tell you how Christ-like I was. And I just floated there on angels' wings to meet him. It didn't happen that way. God <laughs> had pitchfork with me. Anyway, so um, I just, I never... I never pictured the outcome. I mean, you dream about it. You think about it. You think God's that good. You can't write a script like this. That I would be in front of Mike and meet him. And moments after meeting this man, he's sobbing, telling me this story of addiction and destruction. And I'm like, and, and then the next thing I know, he surrenders his life to Christ. And what's crazy is since then, seven people that he's brought to church have given their lives to Christ, including one just last weekend. I'm telling you, you're obedient. The outcome is going to be good. The outcome is going to be good. It won't be easy. It won't make sense. You will probably look foolish, and God will probably get glory, and lives will most likely, actually lives will be changed. I can't, you can't make this stuff up. This week I get a message from Chandler. She's a woman in our church. She has no idea what I'm preaching on. She has no idea that we're talking about weight. She sends me a message. Now Chandler and Zach, if you, some of you know who they are. They're like the poster children of Meadows. At least they were right away. I mean, I met, when I met them, you know what I was doing? We, we were launching. We hadn't even launched the church yet. I met them on a door-to-door campaign, Okay. Those are always successful. Go to strangers, knock on their door. So I'm not kidding you. I walk up to their house, and there's a group of people standing there. I walk up, and then, boom, they're all gone. I've never seen people run so fast. It's like, wow. But what if I'm the guy for you? What if I'm the man? Okay, so remember, anyway, so, anyway, what if I'm the guy? Uh, guy whatever. So I, and Zach, Zach was the only one dumb enough not to run. So there's Zach, and there's me. And we start talking, and sure enough, Chandler, his wife comes, actually their fiance at that time. So long story short, they came. They got married in the church. God's doing amazing things. Like they're serving, they're all in, you know. They're two daughters and one son. And it's just, just this storybook picture. You know, it's easy to see a storybook from the outside or from your Facebook or your Instagram, but there's always more to the story. Say there's more. There's more. She sends me this message this week, has no idea what I'm preaching on. Monty, the last year has been the hardest year of my life, hardest year of our marriage. She talks about some details going on. So the last year, if you don't know what's happened, I mean, their marriage was basically, I mean, talk about hanging on by a thread. Their house that they had, well, they lost that. So they're homeless. And they have a choice. This is their choice. Be homeless or live with our in-laws. I mean, that's actually a hard decision if you think about it. I'm like, they, they, they chose in-laws, living with their in-laws. And then they have Caden, their oldest daughter. And she's sick. And she's sick. And I'm, we're not just talking like the flu. I'm talking some serious stuff here. And, and they're all in in so many areas, but yet I see these struggles. And there's like, and, and I talked to Zach, and it's like there's just block, and I'm like, I don't know. So I knew some of this, but a lot of this I didn't know. This is what she told me. I kept hearing, I kept coming to church, praise God, and hearing you say things like, when you're faithful, God will bless it. You said, when God, you said, God will bless it, but I have to put the work in. This is before this message. I mean, it's crazy. So I put the work in. I prayed. I read the word daily. I was leading a life group. I'm serving in kids ministry. I'm serving in youth on Wednesday ministry. I'm going to school full-time online for ministry. My gosh. 
I'm being faithful. I'm patient. I'm standing by Zach, my husband, through all the bad. And I decided even through it all, I'm going to love and respect him and serve him, even though it was incredibly hard. I kept doing the things. I read all the books. And she did. Like, you pointed her to do something. And here's the thing with Chandler. She surrounded herself with people that loved her but loved God more. That's the key to listening to God. Listen to God and do what he says. How do you listen to God? She's, she's telling us. I read all the books. I did everything everybody told me. I leaned into God. I poured everything that I am into who he wants me to be and who he says I am. And I waited. There it is. I waited for this blessing that I so desperately needed. You know what Chandler's basically saying? This is what I did. I took all my chips and I just went all in. Like, I'm all in. Like, there is no other plan. There's no hidden card. There's nothing else I have. My cards are all on the table. You can even look at them. I'm all in. But if this doesn't work, if I don't have the winning God hand with you, I'm done. I waited for the blessing that I so desperately needed to come. Her next, her next sentence was this, and waited, and waited, and waited. Those three words, I cannot tell you how hard that is. That statement that I just read to you, that's where most people will stop waiting. It is. That is where most people will go to plan one or plan two. It is. What I'm, what I'm telling you and what Chandler would tell you, it's not easy. Living your purpose isn't easy. Trusting God when it doesn't make sense isn't easy. Marching around a city aimlessly seemingly isn't easy. I waited, I waited, and I waited. Every single time I wanted to give up, I would get this thought in my head, it's not working, it's not working. You would give a sermon that tied in perfectly that would give me the hope I needed to continue to be faithful in the waiting and the silence. And every time I would see God do something good in it, even small baby steps that I think I honestly would have missed having not looking back now. This is why if you missed Mabry's testimony last week, and even Mindy as she gave hers in this series, you know what they all said? In a message, in a sermon, through God's word, I, it blew me away. I'm like, oh my gosh, for one, uh, number one, people are listening? It's awesome. It's like, yeah, it's good. But, but this is why I'm so proud of you for being here. I used to go to church. Look up here. I used to go to church to check it off the list. I wasn't listening. I wasn't really into it. I was like, whatever. I don't get it. It's boring. Get me out of here. God's word is alive and active. It is amazing what God wants to do in and through you. She hears this message and it keeps her alive. She's still all in. There's still hope. The cards are still on the table. That waiting in silence and being faithful and obedient through it all is eventually what got to my husband, Zach, and broke down a wall that he needed to let God in. Monty, for the first time, I have a husband who honestly loves the Lord. He's excited now with purpose and he walks with Christ. He's a spiritual leader in our household. And the next sentence blew me away. I have prayed for years. Don't miss that. Don't miss the details. I, I prayed for 10 minutes. I prayed for a week. I prayed for a month. I prayed for years to have a husband who was a spiritual leader, and I finally have it. I, I, that hit me. I, th I thought so often we want God to move and do something for us. God, you do this, orchestrate that, move that, guide that. But many times, instead of doing something for you, God is doing something in you. Isn't that, that's what I saw here. God is working in Zach. God's working in Chandler. God's working in the kids. God is doing something in them. What hit me in her message was what I'm about to read to you next. This is what I didn't know. Because you read that part, you're like, okay, it's good now, right? God's in it, and Zach's on board, and family. Well, Chandler's still got a void in her. And there's something going on still, and just the dynamics, and not the marriage so much, but with the kids, and it's hard. The last two weeks, through what I'm going through, I've never felt so alone. And two weeks ago, you preached a sermon. Again, the Word of God going forth. You preached a sermon. And all I heard the whole time when I'm feeling alone, all you kept saying, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. God is with me. Even in the silence, God is with me. And he just needs to know that he can trust me. What she's referring to is a message a couple weeks ago where I said, 
God needs to know he can trust you before he can bless you. That's the message. He needed to know I could, he could trust me no matter how I'm feeling. Jeez, that's big. No matter how I'm feeling. Never base, never base your faith on a feeling. I'm not going to leave, I said. I'm not, my dad's with me, I'm not leaving him. So I didn't, I stayed faithful, I continue to do as I should. And now the sentence how I thought it was gonna end is, I stayed faithful, I did what I was supposed to do, and now things are great. She surprised me again. I stayed faithful, I did what I'm supposed to do, but the hurt feeling just wouldn't go away. So last Sunday, she says, we walk into church. I had no idea. I mean, people, I see people all the time. I look at you right now. You don't look miserable. You don't look sad. I walk into church and you decide to use Caden, their oldest daughter, for a, a demonstration. Here's what's crazy about this demonstration that we did with the ladder last weekend. Caden was never part of the plan. I had another little girl set up. I t talked to her, told her, hey, do you have faith? Will you trust me in this? And she was all set up. And then for, for a certain reason, she couldn't do it last minute. So I was just in a panic. I'm like, okay, I need to find some kid. Caden, you're it. So God, you use Caden for a demonstration for fear. And you had Zach go behind her. As you walked away and your voice got more distant, Zach, who she, she had no idea what Zach was behind her, you told her to fall from the ladder, behind, just fall back thinking that she's gonna just hit the ground. She had no idea. And she fell back and Zach, her dad caught her. The words you said when he caught her were, your father's always there. And then she wrote in capital letters, always there. Every single step, her words, every fall, her words, every pain, joy, hurt, he's always there. In that moment, Monty, I got an overwhelming peace that my father's always with me and he's not or he'll never leave me. I have a healthy, loving marriage today. I didn't know it was possible. My kids are thriving. Zach and I are doing things in ministry and as a team together for Christ that I never dreamed we would do. We've stayed faithful in our finances. They're, they're giving back when they were basically homeless. I, I will attest that their faith has blown me away. We stayed faithful in our finances. And last weekend, God provided us the place to live. Hmm. Now I look back and I know, God, he was, I was training. He was training. He needed to know that I could be faithful in a waiting season. Again, she had no idea what I was preaching on. She said, a waiting season, faithful in seemingly unanswered prayers. When things didn't make sense or go the way I thought they would go, I just needed to, he just needed to know that he could trust me and that I trusted him and that his plan and his timing was perfect. See, what she's telling us is a waiting season is never a wasted season. If we listen to God and do what he says, I came here to tell somebody, don't give up. Don't give in. Just because things aren't going your way doesn't mean they're not going God's way. He's with you in your valley. In your valley. That valley. It's leading somewhere. It's leading somewhere. A marriage healed. A daughter healed. A place to live. A new ministry. Oh, by the way, now they're expecting a new baby. You can probably celebrate that. It's cool. Because that's what happens when God brings couples closer, if you know what I'm saying. Anyway, so God will do that. Then I had to ruin it by saying something like that, Blake, right? <laughs> Staying faithful in your waiting season isn't just about getting through the waiting season. It's becoming who God wants you to become. It's who you become in the journey. It's not just I need to get through this valley so I can get on the hill. No, it's who you become as you, as you trudge up the hill. That's, what it's, that's, your per that's where your purpose is found. That's where life is found. That's where abundance is found. You know what God was teaching Joshua and the Israelites when it made no sense? It don't need to make sense. Trust and believe me in what I said. You trust and believe me and you do what I'm telling you to do, it will happen. A promise from God, well, I've never seen one go bad. I've seen a lot not fulfilled, not because God didn't do it, because we didn't do it. We all want great opportunities, I do too, but greater opportunities later require immediate obedience now. What's God calling you to do today? Something that maybe didn't even hit you in the message, but it did me. And I've read this, I've read, I've studied the Bible and I've read this passage, but it was, it was something about these trumpets that God kept telling the priest to blow. 
It's so important that you're blowing these trumpets when you're walking around the city. And then the seventh time around on that seventh day, you're going to blow it real loud. And then you're going to shout. I'm like, what is it with the trumpets? Well, I did some studying and there's really two types of trumpets in the word of God. There's just a regular trumpet trumpet, like you would see. And it talks about silver trumpets, but you get the point. See, this is, this is a trumpet that it, when, it's in, when it's used in God's word, they're blowing other trumpets. What they're talking about with this trumpet is assembly, a, a, a gathering, like, like a, a preparation. We're going into war, we blow the trumpets. We're gonna call people together, we blow the trumpets, right? We're gonna, we're gonna come together and get, a, get a, a word, we're blowing the trumpets. But that's not what they blew. Remember what they blew? They blew what's called a ram's horn. I don't know if this was some sort of a mutant ram that it was this big, but this baby, that's serious stuff. And uh, this, this is what they'd be blowing that day, walking around Jericho. So this was different. When they blew this trumpet, when, and by the way, the Hebrew word for, 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 this trump, for this trumpet is shofar. Say shofar. So close, but shofar. I'm sorry. Shofar. So shofar, another word that they link to this in the Hebrew is jobel. Jobel is a, a, a root word for jubilee. We know that would mean celebration. So what am I saying? I'm saying that the ram's horn that they're blowing that day was different because, well, they weren't really calling an assembly. And you might think, well, they, they were. They should be blowing this because... It, they, were, it, they were assembling people together. They were walking around Jericho. Uh, they're, you know, they're gathering for war. But, but they weren't doing that. You know why they weren't doing that? They weren't gathering to go to war because the war had already been won. That's why they blew this. This, what this signifies, is the presence and authority of God that was with them. I would love to, but I've tried for a long time and I, God has not anointed me in that area. So, <laughs> pray for that. So, that's pressure. Um, I, it means the presence and the power of God. It also means, remember Jubal, Jubilee, celebration. So, they didn't have to blow the other horn to gather for war because the war had been won. Why? Because Josh, or God said to Joshua, what? I have given you Jericho past tense. I have given you this city. Like, it's yours. You don't need to go into battle. The battle's been won. You just need to step into it. Now I'm going to give you some marching orders behind that. You just do that. It's yours. It's yours for the taking. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I wonder if we're walking around with the wrong posture in our life. And, it, and it, as we maneuver, we got this in our hands and we're ready to orchestrate and we're going to manipulate and we're going to assemble our plan with our people and we're going to do it this way. Listen, we're going to do option number one because this is the plan and it's going to succeed and we're going to do that. Or option number two, it's halfway God, halfway me and God, God, you bless it. And we're so busy and it's so, some of you are so exhausted. Of course you are. Why would you be going into battles you, that have already been won for you? Why are you not ushering in? Why are you not? See, some of us today, we need to put down that trumpet, pick up a ram's horn. That's what we need to do. Do you know why? Because the power and the presence of God is with you. Like it's in this place today. The power and the presence of God is with you. The Lord says today, I have given you Jericho. I have given you the city. I have given you victory. You just need to step into that victory. It's yours. Will you take it? Somebody shout like you're walking around Jericho seven times. I want victory, God. And if I could blow this thing, I'd do it. But I can't. I just... I got one more scripture you need. This scripture, it's funny. Chandler talked to me between services. They used to say, and maybe they still do, that their family scripture was Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you hope in the future. But she said they ordered that scripture 
And the company they ordered from sent them a different one. I'm like, wow, could be God. They sent them Galatians 6, 9. You want to tie it into the message? It won't be hard. Let us not get tired of doing what is good. Let us not get tired of doing what is good in your waiting season. Because at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Don't give up. And that exhaustion I'm talking about, that orchestrating that you're having to do in your family and your kids and your friends and your business, you don't need to do it. Like, like I used to, growing up, I grew up in a church where I thought I had to be good. I had to do it my, or I had to do it a certain way and I had got to do things right. And if you do it right, God, you like me and you're going to bless me. But if I screw it up, then I'm back one more rung down and one more rung down and I'm just closer to hell. And then somebody told me, Monty, it ain't like that. Like God's, remember the battle of Jericho? I've given you this city. God has given you a victory through Jesus. Like this is the key. And I didn't understand it. I'll make it, well, if you're good, then you go there. If you're bad, you go there. They're like, no, no, no. You don't get it. God's grace is giving you the victory. But you need to do something just like they had to march around the city. You need to do something. You have to walk by faith and say, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus is God's son sent from God himself to die on a cross for me. See, Jesus' battlefield, it wasn't Jericho. It was Calvary, where a cross was. He didn't run from it. He actually ran to it for you and for me. It wasn't about being good or bad. God's grace covers us. And so many people are living in such a way that they're drained and they're empty and they're deflated and they're depressed and they're wondering how could God ever love a mess like you? The truth is he died for a mess like you and he'd do it again. That's how much your king loves you. That he would, yeah, praise God. He would go to a cross. That he would go to a cross and die a horrific death. And you would think, oh my gosh, it's over. That's the end of the story. But it wasn't. Because three days later, Three days later, and by the way, this is the key to salvation, is what I'm about to share. Three days later, a man named Jesus would burst forth from the tomb, from the grave, defeating sin, defeating death. And I'll say what I've always said, if a man can take a blood-stained cross and turn it into an empty tomb, he can take what's dead inside of you and bring it back to life. It's what he's in the business of doing. It's what he wants to do. So, what does that mean you do? God sent Jesus for you. He's given you Jericho. He's given you abundant life. He's given you a purpose-driven life. It's what he's given you. So I just get it? Nope. You need to walk around the city by faith. How do I walk around the city? Well, trust God. Tell him that you love him. Tell him that you believe in his son, Jesus Christ, that he died for you and rose for you, and that you believe that if you surrender your life to him, he will come into you through the Holy Spirit and he'll make you new. It is a miracle. The Holy Spirit will come into you and make you new. So life will be easy? Nope. But you'll never be alone, and you'll be forgiven, and and, and you won't have to win victories anymore. You don't have to prove yourself anymore. You don't have to try to do it a certain way or get to a certain level anymore. Jesus has already done it. So many people walk around, I'm exhausted. Let God fill, let the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord is in this place. Let him fill you in this moment. I wanna pray for you. And this is my prayer. Listen to me, I believe in Jesus all my life. I don't believe that, that's the beginning, but salvation comes through surrender by faith. When you, by faith, you just trust him. God, I, God, fill all of me. Even the 5% that I, that I hide from you, you already know it. Give him all of you today. Surrender your whole life to him and ask the Holy Spirit to come into you and make you new. We'll pray with you if you want us to pray with you. It's not some special prayer that saves you. It, it, it is a relationship with Jesus Christ that saves you. How does that happen? Believe in him, call on his name, and the Bible says you will be saved. Do not leave here. If you have questions, do not leave here unless you know that's a done deal. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters if that's not a done deal. The other action item, what door are you at? One, two, or three in in your life? 
in your relationships, in your marriage, in your singleness, what are you doing? Are you, do, are you listening to God and doing what he says? I love you so much and your Father in heaven loves you way more. Father, will you bless us? We're here seeking your presence. God, we don't have it figured out. We have some doubts, we have some fears, we get scared. Thank you for meeting us here. Just like Joshua, I'm sure was wondering, what the heck, God, I don't get these instructions. And you're like, you don't need to get them. You just need to get me in you. You just need to trust me and do what I'm telling you to do. God, I pray that you'll bring us to a level three faith. A faith that says, you know what? I don't understand it all. I don't agree with it all. But you know what? I know it's from you. I know it's because it feels foolish and it feels weird and it feels uncomfortable. But it, that's when I know it's you, God. I need you to help us. I need you to walk with us. I need you to bring us to a level three faith, a faith that says we'll listen, we'll trust, and we'll do what you're telling us to do in a waiting season. It's never wasted if we do those things. God, have your way in this place today. Fill our hearts with you. Bless everybody in this place as they go throughout their day and their week. When we leave here, God, church isn't ending. It begins as we take you with us into a world that desperately needs you. Father, we love you. We thank you for your gift, for Jesus. There, without him, there's nothing. There's no hope. But with Christ, with Jesus, this perfect gift, sacrifice, father, friend, counselor, with him, we'll never stop declaring the best is truly yet to come. In Jesus' name I pray and we all say, Amen. Thanks for watching the Meadows Church YouTube channel. But don't stop there. We want to invite you to be part of our family and subscribe so you don't miss a single update or message. But not only that, I would encourage you, share this message with a friend. I mean, you and I both know so many people out there are struggling. I mean, they're seeking answers, searching for hope, looking for purpose. That's right, you were created on purpose for a purpose and we would love to walk with you in your journey. I hope you know that you are valuable and you are loved. And we believe that for you, the best is yet to come. God bless you.